Welcome back, you guys. This is Kyle Brotherson with Dirt Bike Channel. Today, I'm going to be talking about safety gear for riding dirt bikes off-road, safety gear for riding dirt bikes in enduro-style riding. Uh, this is also going to be helpful if you want to be a racer. As you guys know, I don't do uh, official sanctioned racing. At least I haven't up to this point. But these principles will will work for all of those types of situations. If you're going to get into this sport, this is going to be tailored to more to the people who are into the sport or getting into the sport. And then also you might learn something as well if you are even a seasoned uh, off-road and enduro rider here. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, going to jump into this right away. So I'm going to kind of talk about mandatory gear versus optional gear uh, because there is, there is a difference, right? Um, some of these things are mandatory and then some of them will be optional. And I want you to think about um, kind of budgeting here. Plan on spending between $500 on the low end, maybe around $1,000 on the mid end and over two grand on the high end. And it is very easy to spend a lot of money in this sport on safety gear, but it is not something that you should overlook. I get emails from people all the time saying, hey, Kyle, um, I, you know, just getting into this sport and I have $3,000 to spend on my dirt bike. That's all I, you know, have, uh, what are some options? And one of the things that I don't think people think about often enough is it's like, okay, well, you've got 3000 for the dirt bike, but you're forgetting maybe one very, very critical thing. And that is the safety gear. I really don't want people to do this without spending somewhere around a thousand dollars for gear. I mean, you can do it on the cheaper but I don't, I don't recommend that. And so you need to kind of budget that into your dirt biking budget. You know what I mean? It's, it's expensive. The good news though, is that this gear, uh, if you buy quality gear, it typically lasts you a long time. I mean, with the exception of jerseys, uh, most of the other gear we're going to talk about can last you a long time. You know, as an example, I can still wear my very first riding boots that I bought in 2010. I bought some Garnet SG10 boots and I, they're, they're not the only boots that I have now, which is why they're not, they're not worn out. Um, and I can still wear them. And I do this week. I still wore my Garnet SG10s on just a little ride here around the house, uh, around the house, just doing some training and stuff. I, I wore those same boots and those boots are now nine years old. And they still offer good support and the soles are not all the way worn out. So if you buy something that's quality, it's going to last. Those boots were like 400 bucks, but guess what? It's nine years later and I can still wear them. And they still offer great support and great protection. So, um, and another thing. So obviously the boots are going to be mandatory. The, the helmets are going to be mandatory. One, one thing about helmets, know that your helmet will need to be replaced if you hit your head hard. Don't gamble on that. They're designed to absorb one really good hit. That's how they're designed. They, they're designed to absorb energy and absorb that energy so it doesn't get transferred into your brain is essentially what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they're designed to take one really good hit. One of the, and this isn't a scientific way for me to do it. You're going to hit your head all the time on branches and little things. I'm not talking about those types of ones. I'm talking about a really good smacking. Usually that happens on the ground. <laughs> and the way that I have kind of gauged this, and I know this isn't scientific, but if you hit your head hard enough that you see stars in any way, or you're dizzy or shaken up in any way, it's time to retire that helmet. You know, and obviously 
don't don't email me and tell me you know that hey I'm not I, you're gonna have to be the judge of this. If the visor is broken, you probably should get a new helmet or you know or something like that. If you see any cracks, definitely get a new helmet. But a lot of times you're not gonna see a crack, you know. But the structural integrity of the helmet is gonna be compromised if you hit your head very hard, and that's the time to retire it and get a new one. Don't just be like, oh, look, there's no cracks in it. It's good to go. That's not that's not a gamble that you want to be taking with your brain because uh, your brain uh, can't absorb a lot of that stuff without, you know, concussions, all that stuff. It's very serious. They've, they're learning more and more about that with, you know, American football, tackle football. It's not something we want to we wanna gamble with. So let's talk about helmets here a little bit. What to look for um, we talk about how to retire or when to retire, but what do you want to look for in a helmet? Here in the United States, we have basically two different rating systems, and I would uh, suggest that you should not buy a helmet unless it's got at least one of these two ratings or certifications. The number one rating is the DOT rating. It's the Department of Transportation uh, rating here in the, United, in the United States. In Europe, the rating system that you're looking for is the ECE. Um, I can't remember what the EC, what ECE stands for, but that's the European rating. And that means that they've passed the safety, the safety, excuse me. That means that they've passed the safety standards for the respective locations here in the USA or Europe. Snell certification is above that here in, in America, we've got the Snell certification and the whole idea behind, behind the Snell certification was to raise the bar even further above the DOT standards. So that's a very good thing to look for. Um, a lot of people think that the Snell rating is, is a lot more rigorous than the standard like DOT baseline. So if you can afford a helmet with the Snell rating, if it's Snell rated, it's going to be basically, you know, the DOT rating. And I would go that route if you can afford it because you only get one brain, right? <laughs> so, um, helmets, there's a lot of different helmets out there. Uh, some good helmets to look for. If you want like a really, really nice helmet, there's a 60 ATR Two, that's one that I love. It's about a $600 helmet though. There's also like Fly Formula. That's a new helmet here in 2018, 2019. Also very, very good helmet. And I would, um, I would say those are two really good ones to look at. Then there's also a bunch of helmets that are around the $200 range. I haven't bought any helmets for adults that are less than 200 bucks. I mean, you get what you pay for. There's a lot of, there's a lot of helmet manufacturers out there that are making good helmets. There's only a few that are kind of pushing the envelope. I don't think you need to spend seven, eight, nine hundred dollars. I think you know six hundred dollars is you're going to get a freaking good helmet for that much. Know though that you have to get a helmet that has the right size. You don't want the helmet to be too large. It's going to break. So the first time you put the helmet on, it's going to feel quite snug. It's going to be pushing against your cheek, cheeks pretty hard. It's way better to have the helmet a little. It's it's supposed to be snug. You don't want it too large. If it's too large, your brain can be rattling around inside of there, and that is defeating the purpose. You know, it won't be able to protect your head adequately. So you want to do that. You want to have it uh, fit well and know that it's going to be pretty snug, you know? So maybe if you've got a lot of hair, uh, you might even look at some of those little skull cap things that they do so that it doesn't itch so much or whatever, but you've just got to get used to uh, having a helmet on your head. So that's that's definitely the the number one thing is your helmet. Right below that, as far as importance, and these two are mandatory. You know, the helmet's mandatory, the boots are mandatory, um, is your boots, right? So I sometimes people think they can scrimp on boots, and I say absolutely not. 
There is no way you should be scrimping on the boots. The boots are just as important in so many ways. Um, the only reason the boots are not as important maybe as your head is because your feet, if you break a foot, your foot will heal, you know, and, or you break a toe or whatever you're, that will heal. And you'll probably be able to have, you know, live a productive life after that. You break your head open. There is no productive life <laughs> after that. If you get a really serious head injury, but with the boots, you end up hitting your feet and stuff on more things in my experience in the off-road riding world than you hit your head. So I, if, if I was just going to go out on one ride, um, and I had the choice between wearing only a helmet or wearing only my boots, I'd rather wear the boots because most of the time I don't need a helmet. I mean, most of the time I don't hit my head, I guess is what I'm saying, but my feet are closer to the ground, closer to rocks, closer to roots, all these things. And my boots give me more protection on the average ride than my helmet does because I don't always hit my head on the ground. And I'm not, I'm not saying at all that you shouldn't wear a helmet. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how I, how important I think the boots are in this. Do not scrimp on the boots. You might think, well, dude, I just bought a helmet for $400 or $600. I'm going to go like a little bit cheaper on the boots. Don't do that. There are two things I do not want you to scrimp on. Number one is the helmet and number two is the boot. And it's two is the, the boots are only second because you'll, you know, you can't, you can't repair your head a lot of times. So you want to be able to have good boots, high quality boots, um, that have a lot of protection and no, they're not going to feel like wearing a shoe. It's not going to be, you don't want it as stiff. Generally speaking as like a, like a uh, skiing boot. It's going to be more along the lines of like what some of the snowboarding boots are where, yeah, there's some give to them and everything, but there's a, they offer a ton of support and they're, they're not going to be good to be hiking around in. So just know that, <laughs> um, but you want them to have a lot of protection, uh, with your ankles and with your toes and all these things. I mean, you don't want to lose a toe. And there are, there are dozens and dozens of times that my boots have absolutely saved my bacon. I hit them on rocks or I get them caught somewhere or the bike tips over on it. Uh, just endless number of times that I've needed to wear them. And also know that the first time, the first few times that you wear, you know, boots off-road style or motocross style boots, when you go riding, it might seem a little bit awkward, you know, and per perhaps it'll be hard for you to feel the shifter or feel the brake pedal or these things. And that is normal, but over time you're going to get used to it. And they're designed stiff for a reason because they need to give you support and give you protection for all of the many, many things that your feet are going to go through. So don't scrimp, get some good boots. Like the first boots that I bought were Garnet SG10s. I think at the time they were like 400 bucks. Um, and I've bought other boots since then, like some Fox um, Instinct off-road boots and some CD uh, SRS3 boots. And I don't think I've ever bought... Well, I know I haven't ever bought boots that were under 400 bucks. They were between 400 and 600 dollars, the boots that I have purchased, but I can still wear all of them. So I have purchased three boots in my riding career, three different pairs, and I can still wear all of them to this day. So just know that if you buy quality gear, you're not just throwing your money away, okay? The next thing I'm going to list are also what I would say are mandatory gear. Now you can, there's a lot of different gray area here in what you decide to do, what type, you know, these things, there's a lot, there's a lot of options here. Um, but it is mandatory that you've got something first is going to be jerseys. 
So a riding jersey is long sleeve always, and they could be vented. They could be non-vented. Jerseys are typically a better, uh, offer you better protection than just like a short sleeve shirt because the jerseys are long sleeve because you're going to be hitting trees or bushes or whatever else. And you may go down and it helps against road rash and all of these things. So you want a durable Jersey. Um, and depending on whether it's super hot in your area or super cold in your area, that will determine what types of fabric you use. And sometimes you just layer up a lot of times I will just layer up and I might wear two different jerseys if it's cold. I'll get into base layers in just a second, but a Jersey, you don't have to break the bank here. You can go out and you can find close out jerseys or whatever, riding jerseys for, um, maybe 15 or $20. A lot of the jerseys are going to be between 35 and $65. Um, and, and then some are even up on the upper end or something like that. Climb makes some really, really durable jerseys, but there's a million jerseys out there. Fox, Troy Lee designs, Thor, you know, fly racing. There's just a million of them out there. And a lot of these companies are making a good Jersey. So it's not like you have to stick with a certain brand. Um, Sometimes it's, it's good to have a high visibility, like a high, like a bright color Jersey, just because it helps maybe for other people to see you, uh, coming that that's a thing. Um, but when I first got into dirt biking, I didn't want anything like super loud. I just bought some Fox gear that was white and blue. Cause my dirt bike was white and blue. And you know, I bought a Yamaha 450. Some of you guys know that story. And so, but you do want a Jersey and it needs to be long sleeve. And I used to even sometimes pull my Jersey. I would get hot or something. And so I would kind of pull my sleeves up a little bit. I don't do that anymore because the jerseys are long sleeve to protect your skin and your arms and everything. And so I leave them down to my wrists. Uh, riding pants, riding pants are <clears throat> riding pants are also very important. I would say mandatory. It's one of those ones where you could go either way on it. But the reason why I think it's mandatory is because they have extra um, protection in some places. A lot of the a lot of the riding uh, pants are going to have like um, you know like leather in certain places, so you don't get burned by the um, by your pipe. And they're just they're just constructed in such a way where it really helps you to move around on the bike and make it so you're not getting a wedgie because that's a real thing when you're when you're on the bike. Uh, just makes it a lot more comfortable. And then they'll typically have some added, you know, protection over your knees and some different, you know, high wear areas. And trust me, it's it's much better to be using a ride riding pants um, for dirt bike riding than just your Levi's or Carhartt pants or whatever else. Trust me, they're designed to do a good job. You've got over the boot pants, you've got inside the boot pants. Almost always I wear the inside the boot pants because I don't, when they're over the boot, it does offer some advantages to have over the boot pants in off-road riding because then not all the trees and branches and stuff gets down inside your boot, but it also can grab on things. And so I prefer the inside the boot pants. Uh, that way it's just slick and, and you're not getting you're not being grabbed by bushes or trees or even your foot pegs. That's a, that's a huge thing for me is if I have pants that are over the boot, um, pants, I end up catching them on my foot pegs and I have tipped over because I'll try to, I'll try to go put my, put a foot down and I'll catch my pant leg on the, on the foot peg and it will not let go. And then I tip over. And so that's the primary reason why I like inside the boot pants is so that I don't tip over when I'm riding. And yes, I then just deal with the fact that sometimes I have a little bit of sagebrush or a couple of, you know, 
twigs or little things and leaves and grass inside of my boots and I just dump them out, you know, later. So riding pants, super, super important. And, and they're going to, they're going to give you a much better experience. You can spend, if you look for clothes out stuff, you might be able to find some pants for 40 bucks. Some of these riding pants are upwards of $200. And I don't say that you need to do that. You certainly don't. Um, but I do like finding pants now that have pockets in them, you know, so that you can put your phone there. I don't like wearing any of my riding pants now that don't have a pocket on the sides. So a lot of the off-road stuff is going to offer pockets. A lot of the motocross stuff, they're not going to offer pockets because they don't think you're carrying anything. Um, and it just needs to be, you know, lightweight and, and whatever. But for the off-road world, we're carrying stuff. And a lot of times we're carrying phones or whatever. And so you, I like to look for pants that have a have pockets on the sides. It's kind of like the cargo style pockets on the side of your your thigh or whatever. Gloves also very important. This is a mandatory thing because you're going to get your your hands take a beating. You'll need them if you go down. You'll need them for just you know passing through brush and all those types of things. So gloves though you can do a lot of different things. I like a really thin glove that doesn't have a lot of extra stuff going on to it because sometimes if it does if it has extra protection over the knuckles. It's, it is a really cool idea. And if it works for you to have protection over the knuckles, I, I'm, I'm all for that. The problem that I end up having is that if I have protection over the knuckles, it ends up making my fingers hurt. Just, it's a really weird thing, but that, that may be just me. So I like a really thin glove. Um, you don't have to break the bank on that, but that is mandatory. Okay. So those are my mandatory things. As far as for safety gear, you got the helmets, you got the boots, you got riding jerseys, riding pants and gloves. Okay. Keep it, and, and then keep in mind, you've got vented stuff uh, as far as the riding jerseys and pants. You've got vented and non-vented, and you guys can figure that out. And maybe you'll just layer up. My next thing is base layers. Okay, so this is not mandatory at all. But base layer is essentially like a moisture wicking thing that you would wear under your pants and or um, under your jersey up on top. And this is really helpful for me. And I'm now wearing base layers no matter if it's 100 degrees outside uh, or if it's super cold, I'm wearing a base layer on my legs that helps wick moisture away. Even when it's hundred degrees, I have it for a couple of reasons, which I'll get into later, but I am wearing base layers on my legs. And then in the summer, um, I'll have a base layer kind of like up on top. That's more like a sleeveless compression shirt or something like that helps to wick moisture away. And it also just, you know, add some extra protection against, you know, rubbing and chafing and things, because we're going to add some other stuff on top of this that you're going to want some protection against, you know, so your, it isn't just burning into your skin or whatever. Um, base layers, if it gets really cold, I might be wearing, you know, uh, well, I typically will wear a long sleeve base layer up on top. Uh, that's more of like a compression style thing. Fly racing makes these, I mean, but you can get them anywhere. You can get them at Walmart, whatever. Just find something that works for you. And the colder it gets, the more layers I wear. I usually don't wear like a big jacket or something because it's easy if I've, if I got a backpack on, which I always do, um, like some sort of a riding pack, hydration pack. If you've got a bunch of different layers, you can then shed a layer or two and throw that in your pack. And then if it gets colder, you can put the layers back on, you know, so there are times that I'm riding in like, you know, 25 degree weather and I'm not wearing a big jacket or anything. I'm just wearing maybe four or five layers, you know, thin layers. And it's good because you're usually working your freaking butt off. And so your body is generating enough heat to stay warm with all those different layers on, even when it's snowing. And that has happened to me a lot. Even, you know, just this last week or two, I've been in really, really cold weather. 
and I've just had a few different base layers on and it's worked out for me. So optional thing. Another optional thing is a chest guard or a roost protector. So in the off-road world, a lot of people would wonder why you would need a chest guard. And it's not because I'm usually getting rocks thrown at me. I'm just helping to protect my rib cage and my vitals, you know, with a little bit of extra protection. They're typically uh, made out of plastic, you know, kind of like an exoskeleton or whatever. <clears throat> There's a lot of different uh, brands and models you can do. You don't need to spend a ton here. I'm talking, you know, hundred bucks on the low end. I, you know, there's like a Fox chest protector that covers your vitals and stuff. The reason why I like that is when, if, or when you get into a crash or you tip over and you've got like a handlebar coming down into your chest or your back, or there's a branch that hits you or something that you didn't see kind of like jousting style hits you, that extra um, protection there might be the difference between you getting skewered or not. And so I do like running chest protectors or chest guards for that very reason. <clears throat> now, the one that I use typically most right now is kind of a fusion on a neck guard and a chest protector. So again, this one is totally optional and, you know, neck guards are are a controversial subject and I don't pretend to know the answer. Seems like there's a lot of data out there that goes either way on whether or not a neck brace is good for you or not. But I've basically just started wearing a chest protector that has the integrated uh, neck brace integrated into it. Okay. So I think I've, I'm wearing the, it's the Liat fusion, uh, neck brace. And I think it's about, well, it's fusion chest protector and neck brace. And I think it's about 400 bucks. I've had to buy it twice cause I broke one. Um, and the only draw, well, not the only, but one of the drawbacks with a neck brace is it limits how much you can move your head around by design, but it's designed to then stabilize your neck and it transfers that energy probably down into your collarbone or your rib cage or whatever. So that's highly debated. Um, this is why I say it's totally optional for you, but you might want to look at something like that. You can see how fast all this stuff adds up. I mean, if you have a $600 helmet and $500 boots, and $200 in your jersey pant and gloves, and then you have a chest slash neck guard that's 400 bucks, you can see how all of that really, really begins to add up very quickly. But think about that. Chest protector, I would definitely do at least, you know, like a $100 chest protector or something, and then you could integrate a neck guard into that, or just get, you know, a standalone neck brace that, uh, that you might want. Now, knee guards. Uh, knee guards are very, very important. And I'm, there's a difference between knee guards and knee braces. So a knee guard is basically just like protecting your kneecap for when you go down. It's not a matter of if you go down, it's when you go down. And a lot of times we end up hitting our knees pretty, you know, pretty often. And so you can get a knee guard that offers some protection against your kneecap. They typically also have some shin protection as well. I like the Deliat Fusion knee guards. I think they're around $100. Don't quote me on that. I don't have my web browser pulled up in front of me. Um, but I, I, on those, I kind of pull them on like a big sock is what it is. And it's nice to have that base layer on, on my legs if I'm pulling that over. Just helps so I don't get chafing and stuff because you're going to be standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down. And so that kind of can work, especially behind your knee and get your, get your skin raw there. But I would at least suggest that you should look into knee guards and I wear those underneath my riding pants. So you want to make sure that those riding pants are big enough to accommodate that. I started ordering a size up on my 
uh, riding pants to help accommodate for the knee guards or the knee braces, which I'll get into in just a moment. So I typically wear like a, if I'm going to the store to buy jeans or something, I would, I would wear a 32 inch waist. I've been buying a 34 inch waist on all my riding pants and things have fit a lot better uh, after I started doing that. So knee guards are, are important, not mandatory, but highly recommended. Now, knee braces. Here's another one that is a little bit controversial because, I mean, you can make an argument either way. For most of my riding career, I did not wear knee braces. And then, uh, and I had a couple of reasons for it because number one, they're expensive. And then number two, after I bought, you know, like a $600 pair of knee braces, it made the riding hotter and my, I felt like my mobility was limited and it was harder to do this and that. And I just like, I'm not going to wear them. I wore them a few times and then I didn't wear them. And then one day I'm out there on my trials bike and one thing leads to another and I tear my ACL. So whether or not, um, and I was going zero miles an hour, I was getting up over a rock, a big rock. We'd been playing around all day, doing a bunch of stuff on the big bikes, the enduro bikes. And then I was playing around on the trials bike and tore my ACL, um, complete tear and a partial tear on an MCL. So I went, underwent ACL reconstruction surgery, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I wear knee braces now. There is no um, guarantee that if I would have been wearing my expensive knee braces, that that injury would have been prevented. But it, I don't think it can, it can hurt. And so right now, I own a pair of uh, Donjoy A22 braces, and it's a custom fit brace. And that is, I think, the most important thing of this is fitment. Fitment is everything on knee braces. If it's a little bit too big, it's not going to help you at all. It's better to be a little bit small than a little bit big on the braces, just similar to uh, how we, what we talked about on the helmets. Um, so I, I wear those and I got custom fitted and they were freaking expensive, man. I mean, they were $900 per leg and my insurance did not pay a single dime of that. So, and then what I did is I, I bought, um, the kneecap protector that goes along with those. And that was about a hundred dollars per leg or per knee. And so I'm wearing $2,000 worth of knee braces right now. Every time I go ride. It didn't change like me going through that, you know, ACL problem. It didn't change any, any of my riding buddies, um, habits. And I'm not out here to like change anybody's mind. I'm just telling you that right now I'm just using the braces in, as insurance. And I know people flip flop on this. Um, some guys are like, I, I know people that used to give me crap about not wearing knee braces and saying like, dude, you're insane for not wearing knee braces. And then I start wearing them. And then those guys, uh, at least one guy is like, turn the other cheek on it. And he's like, no, I, I don't wear knee braces now because there's all this, you know, there's evidence out there that if you're riding tight or whatever, you're more susceptible to get injured. I mean, we could argue this either way. The thing is, is I am wearing knee braces now just for insurance because it was, I mean, it was expensive, man. It was not fun. It was six months. Well, it was basically nine months um, until I felt comfortable. Nine months to a year is what your recovery is from an ACL tear. I know that they say six months, but dude, I was working my butt off with uh, rowing and uh, doing a skier and doing you know stationary bike, and I started riding. You know, as soon as I got got to the six month mark, and I was not ready to ride. I just wasn't, I wasn't ready to ride until, 
you know, nine to, I wasn't fully confident in everything until I was nine months past my, my knee reconstruction and 12 months legit. So I, I wear knee braces now every time I go riding and, you know, subject to change in the future, but that's what I'm doing. So those are my, those are my thoughts on mandatory parts or mandatory riding gear and optional riding gear. Now, keep in mind that, um, this is a lot of money and you've got it. You've got to, you got to budget this in obviously, but if you, like I said before, if you buy quality gear, you can end up using it for a long, long time. And that's what I would do. I'm more of the guy that it's like you get what you pay for and get something quality rather than buying, you know, something that's a little bit cheaper. And I think that you will be happy in the long run. Okay. Guys, if you like these podcasts, please, please, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you are listening to these things because this is uh, one of the ways that I'm gonna that I'm trying to support my family here very soon. I'm going to start to try to uh, get some sponsors here on the podcast. And if you you know hear those sponsors that are coming up in the future, give them a look and 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 see if that's something that you might want to purchase um, because I'm trying to support my family with this. The number one thing is I've got to have good content for you guys that is that is relevant and important, and and that's what I'm going to be telling you know these advertisers. So very soon, I hope to have you know a, a couple of things where it's like, hey, this podcast is brought to you by XYZ Company. Check them out for this, that, and the other, and then get right back into the content. Um, just being honest with you guys, that's that's what this is all about: is to add value to you guys, give some value, give some entertainment, uh, give some information. And then also be able to monetize that a little bit. You know, that's the American dream. And that's the way for me to support my family. The other thing I want you guys to remember is let's leave a single track. So a number of years ago, and I'm going to start trying to end all my podcasts and end all my YouTube videos with this thought, which is I leave a single track. It was something when I started, when I started my website for Dirtbike Channel, it was something that I thought up. You can go over to the to dirtbikechannel.com. It's still on the homepage. If you scroll down, I wrote like a little sonnet slash poem slash mission statement. Um, and it basically means leave a single track. And I want that to be our tagline here. That's how you'll know you're part of the Dirt Bike Channel tribe is because you'll be like, hey, I leave a single track. I lead out. I'm a leader. I don't follow people. And I'm adding good in the community. And I leave a single track in the mountains and in my community because where I go is too hard for a lot of other people. That's our tagline. So leave a single track, guys.